0: Um, <laughs> All right. We're in a series called uh, Seasons. OK, and I just and I'm so excited about this series. I've so enjoyed preaching so far in this series. Last week, we started looking at biblical manhood. OK. Biblical manhood. We said that there are six principles, six principles that make someone a godly man. Last week, we we, uh, talked about it. The first two, we said that a, a man walks humbly with his God was the first one. Second, a man has learned to control his emotions and his passions. And then third, a man urgently prays for his family. A man intensely protects his family a man willingly provides for his family, and a man lovingly, okay, lovingly leads his family. These principles remain the same, we said last week, even if you're not married and you have a family, all right? Because Paul said to Timothy, if you recall, Timothy's not married, and Paul says to Timothy, he says, "...treat an older man like a father." An older woman like a mother, a a younger man like a brother, and a younger woman like a sister with absolute purity. So whether you're married or you're single and you're a guy, it doesn't matter. These principles apply to your life because, if you will, your family becomes your your mom, your dad, whoever else is in your family, brothers and sisters, or the people that God has placed around you to invest your life into. So it doesn't matter, married or single, all these principles apply to everyone across the board. Like I said, last week we looked at the first two. We talked about a man walks humbly before his God. We talked and we learned about how to control. We talked about how a man needs to control his emotions and his passions. And I want you, if you're here this morning and didn't hear last week, please, please either go online and listen to it or go outside and just grab one of the, the, the CDs whatever and listen to it. So you get the whole, you get the entire picture. This is so, so important to the church. It is so important to us as men. And we talked about this last week as well, the women, will, you'll have your chance um, next week. Well, we will not be talking about womanhood. We'll be talking about something different because I don't want to break it up. These two sermons on womanhood. Um, we're going to talk about something different, and then the week after is Palm Sunday. Great opportunity to invite people, m- mainly worship, a time of worship and celebration. And then we have Easter Sunday, and then after that, we'll jump into womanhood. I'm really excited. This series is actually going to go longer than I originally intended because so, it's so um, rich, and I don't want to skip over anything. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, the principles three through six. What do you think is the most intimate, vulnerable thing that a married couple can do with each other? Awkwardly, wait there. (laughs) I'll just like wait a couple seconds. Don't yell it out. All right. (laughs) If you're thinking sex, you, from my perspective, would be completely wrong. You'd be completely wrong. It's praying together. Honestly, it's praying together. Number three... A man urgently prays for his family. When Deb and I do marriage counseling with people, it's, a, it's absolutely amazing. Asking them to pray together is often their, most, their, their greatest challenge. It's their greatest challenge. Many men are intimidated by prayer. They feel extremely uncomfortable praying out loud, praying out loud with their wives You'd be shocked. I can I can sit down and give people who are going through some struggles in their marriages three or four things to reconnect with each other. They need to be doing right. And you think, oh, I can think a couple of those things. Yep. And you'd be right. But when I tell people what you want to do is you want to sit down with your wife and pray with your wife. That's the one when they come back, they say, well, yeah, I, I, I didn't do that one. I, we're going to do that next week. And that's the one they struggle with the most. Men are often intimidated, if you will, by prayer. But prayer is not an option. Okay, it is not an option if you want to be a godly man. Just not. We need to be men of prayer. If we're not praying, we cannot call ourselves godly men. I'm not just praying praying with your wife or praying with your children. That's important. But we need to be people of prayer. We need to be men of prayer. That's the first, that's first important reason why you should pray. Okay? Let me, give you a, let me kind of go through a few reasons why this is so significant. Um, We talked about the man's urgent need to pray. Let me give you some reasons why prayer is so important to biblical manhood, if you will. First, because we need to follow our leader. Jesus Christ, okay, was the most successful leader of all time. All right. No one even comes close. Most successful person who ever walked the earth. And he spent much of his time in prayer. If we are not willing to pray, if we are not going to pray, we cannot, men, fulfill one of the major roles that God has called us to on this earth. If we're not praying, we're not fulfilling one of the most important roles, the most important responsibilities that God has given to us. And we are not going to be successful in our lives. We will not be spiritually successful in our lives. So that's important. That's one of the reasons we need to pray. Another reason we need to be praying is because godly men face their fears. So if I say to you, are you uncomfortable? Are you fearful about praying out loud with your family, your children, people around you? Then you say, yeah, I'm fearful. Then I say, great, do it. Do it. Because godly men overcome their fears. They're not going to just say, well, it makes me nervous and and it makes me uncomfortable, so I'm not going to do it. That's not what godly men do. That's not biblical manhood. If you're afraid of something, if you're uncomfortable with something, you face it head on and you do it. So if you're uncomfortable praying, start tomorrow. Start tomorrow. Next, because God, godly men embrace vulnerability. Godly men env- embrace vulnerability. It makes us vulnerable. Yes, I prayed with Deb uh, on our first date, I took a chance. I mean, you know, some people, you know, they're maybe uncomfortable. It's not the kind of guy I want to be with. I really liked her. I prayed with her on our first date. Okay. I prayed with her. I took her to Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. And I landed a babe that proves. Okay. That proves that prayer works. Okay. Cause it wasn't a cheese. It wasn't a pizza. Chuck E. Cheese. Okay. It was the prayer because basically what you're saying is you're being vulnerable and you're saying, okay, here's who I am as a person, as a man, a young man. But here's who I am. God is important to me. God's the most important thing to me. And I want to introduce that into our relationship right away. Well, Deb is a Christian, so she responded well to that. But the reality is it's kind of a vulnerable thing to do, because what if she doesn't respond well to that? What if she doesn't react well to that? But we need to be vulnerable. When I, when I was in college, I worked at Exxon. I worked for Exxon. Um, I worked, and I ran two different gas stations that were open 24 hours a day. I was taking a lot of courses. I was full-time in college, but I needed to support, to support myself. So I worked for Exxon. And when my boss came out from Texas, he was trying to recruit me to, when I was, was going to graduate from NIAC. he was trying to recruit me to go to Texas and be trained Okay, um, to kind of get on track for their leadership kind of thing, whatever they were going to do. He had, I didn't say this to him at that time, but I had no intention of taking that track because I wanted to take this track. But when we sat down for lunch, I said, do you mind if we pray? Now, again, honestly, I felt more uncomfortable praying with him than, than I did with Deb at that point. Deb, was that didn't make me too uncomfortable. But with my boss from Texas, I was a little uncomfortable. And it was funny. He said to me, you know, it's funny. I remember we used to pray like this when I was growing up. You know, my dad and my mom, we'd sit around and we'd pray. So uh, he was fine with it. But it was it kind of it opened up that vulnerability to be able to, to pray with someone. So if you're not used to praying, here's my suggestion to you. You start you start slow and make it Simple. You go tomorrow or the next day, you sit down with your family before breakfast or before dinner and you pray something like, Lord, watch over us and, and keep us safe. May everything that we say and do around this table just bring you honor. Amen. Boom, you're done. Make it short and simple. Okay? Make it short and simple. Before, if you're, if you're a younger guy and you're taking this girl out on a date before you date, you pray, God, help us to enjoy, um, help us enjoy our entire night and we invite you to be a part of every moment of this date. We invite you to be a part of every moment. What you're saying to that person, what you're saying to, your, you're saying to everyone is that I am going to invite Christ, I'm going to invite God into every uh, relationship in my life. God is a part of every relationship of my life. They understand who you are. You're including God in those relationships. Nothing encourages a man more than to be respected by the people that mean the most to him. Honestly, nothing encourages a a, a guy more than to be respected by the people that matter most to him. And nothing seems, I'm just going to say I'm not a woman, so I'm just going to say this of what I've observed. Nothing seems to be more attractive to a woman than a man who is strong enough to pray with and for his family. When a man prays with and for his family, when, when, when your wife sees that, when the person that you're closest to, like if you're dating someone, when they start to see that, a godly woman, nothing's more attractive, I'll say, to a godly woman than a man who is strong enough to pray with and for his family. Prayer helps a man become a godly man. Prayer helps a man become a godly man. Number four, a man in Intensely protects his family. A man intensely protects his family. The Bible says that men are accountable for the spiritual leadership um, within their families. Yet, each person is ultimately responsible or accountable to God for their own lives, for their own actions. We are accountable. Men, women, we're all accountable. But God has said, okay, one of the responsibilities I have for you guys is you're accountable for the spiritual health of your family. That's very, very important. So, I want to walk you through, okay, I want to take time and walk you through the principle of protection, what, is it, what does that look like? We're going to process through that. When the Bible calls men to lead, he calls them to lead with a Christ-like spirit. He calls us to lead. If we are, to, if we are men of God, we are called to lead and follow the example of, that Jesus Christ set for us. So when I lead, I should be setting a Christ-like example for my family. This goes deeper than you think, and we're going to get into more of this discussion later on the sermon, but also... I'm going to take an entire sermon and lay this out because we are missing the boat on this one. Okay? I'm talking to everyone, men, women, children. We are missing the boat on this one. So I want to keep that in mind that we should set a Christ-like example in our leadership. That should be our foundation when we talk about leadership. In Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 to 32 it says this. Husbands, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And the two, this is so important, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Husband and wife become one flesh. Okay, one That's so important when we talk about value, we talk about all these things, equality, the two become one flesh. Our goal, okay, our goal, the goal of every man is to love his wife just like Christ loved the church. We're all supposed to also, as, as men, we are supposed to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So as we're walking through and we're talking about protecting, we're talking about leading. The Bible says that uh, the goal of every woman, the goal of every godly man is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the goal that lays the foundation. Guys, listen to me for everything. OK, for everything we talk about. That's the foundation in Romans chapter eight and verse twenty nine. It says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Part of God's role for a man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. To sacrificially love her, okay, and to, and to and to faithfully and selflessly serve her to sacrificially love her and to selflessly serve her these words are not being chosen by mistake all right at all a, a, a good way to think about this when we talk about these types of things is you have the father father son and holy spirit are one god okay Three persons of our one God. They are equal. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal. One God. But they have different roles and responsibilities within the Godhead. Okay? Father has a different role. Son has a different role. Holy Spirit has a different role within the Godhead. That is so important for us to grasp. In the same way, though, in the same way, men and women are equal in value in the eyes of God. Two, okay, two have become one. They're equal in value in the eyes of God. They cannot be separated out. When you are married, you cannot be separated out. So there's equality there. But we have different roles and responsibilities. This is not shocking. This should not be shocking to anyone. In every part of your life, wherever you go and whatever you get engaged in, you are a person of Credible value, and when you go and you, whether it's a job or anything else, you have a different role and a different responsibility within that job. We're told in Ephesians five twenty five that in this that that this may include this whole idea of laying down your life. So okay, so we're supposed to protect. That's the idea. A man of God protects his family intensely. So you're supposed to be a servant. You're supposed to love and serve and sacrifice and be selfless. To the point, Ephesians 5 says, that you're willing to lay down your life for that person. Now, when we think of laying down our lives, you start thinking about who lays down their lives to protect. You start thinking of like a soldier, for example. Soldiers protect Like soldiers, we as men of God need to stand watch over our families that our God has placed in our sphere of influence with intensity, Okay, with focus and intensity. I think of the soldiers in England, for example who will protect Buckingham Palace, right? If you've been there, I have, I've been there, I've been to England once, but I didn't get to see Buckingham Palace, but I've seen all these pictures, and they're always joking about it in movies. These guys are standing there, okay, and they are focused, and they are intense, and you can hardly get them to blink. They have their job. They are there to protect with intensity Buckingham Palace. I, this story is amazing to me, Okay. In 2003, Hurricane Isabel um, just pounded the east coast of the United States. Part of this, when this happened, 16 people were killed. All right? Over 5 million homes were without power. This, this hurricane was powerful, just whipping through there. And part of the hurricane, the edge of the hurricane, swept through Washington, D.C., so when that happened, they said, they said to the president president, we need, you know, I think president Obama at that point, right? We need to get you to safety. So the president was called to go to get to safety. They told Congress, go outside and just stand there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah, took you a little bit right there. I'm just kidding. Okay. No, they told Congress, you need to, you need to find safety. So they told the president and Congress that they need to seek um, safety. And they did. But while they found refuge the soldiers who were guarding Arlington National Cemetery refused to move from their post. They refused, okay? They would not move. They stood vigil at the at the tomb of the unknown soldier, okay? They stood vigil there. They held their ground just like they have done since July 1st, 1937. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, they stood their post. 24 trees, large trees, were knocked down in Arlington National Cemetery. The the, set, the 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 uh, all the different monuments and things like that. Many of them were destroyed. Okay, they it knocked down full grown trees. Yet these men would not leave their post. They were told that, that if they choose to, they can leave the post for their own safety, and they chose not to. And they stood there during a hurricane. During a hurricane. Because that is what a soldier does. They acknowledge the storm, but they choose in their hearts and minds, they refuse to be moved by it, they stand their ground. They stand their ground. They acknowledge the storm is there. They may even have a little bit of fear and trepidation, but they stand their ground. Godly men, men stand watch over their families, even during the most stressful Painful, challenging times in their lives. They stand watch over their families. Last week we talked about when a man, a godly man, should use their strength. When it is appropriate and when is it inappropriate. And we talked about when they should use their strength. Like soldiers, we are called by God to stand our ground while staring down the storm. If that storm, and no matter what that storm, no matter what form that storm takes on in our lives, that's a hurricane, but there are storms that are constantly coming at our family. Physical, emotional, and spiritual storms that come at our family. And We are called by God to stand our ground regardless of what form that storm takes if that storm is going to harm those who we love. That is what we are called to do by God, to stand our ground. We are called to stand strong. We are called to stand strong when, the, when we are taunted, when we are tempted to neglect our duty and to abandon our posts. Even if someone tempts you, well, you can, you know, if you would like, you can choose to seek shelter. That's what they were told. We, you have permission by your superiors to seek shelter, and that's the answer. That needs to be the answer for godly men. I mean, you know, you can we talked about this last week, you know, guys that walk around straight around, you know, they, they get the women or whatever else they put, they put a check, you know, they put a kind of mark on their belt that I got this girl. I got that girl. They think somehow going around and acting all whatever they act is somehow manhood. It's not manhood. This is biblical manhood. You want to be a man? This is what I'm talking about. The, regardless of how you're taunted or tempted to to abandon your post, you don't do it. Why? Because first and foremost, I'll just talk about myself here for a second. First and foremost, my wife and my children and my grandchildren know that God is the most important thing in my life. I love God more than I love them. I do. I love them. So I would, I would, I would fight anything. I would give my life for any of them. I would turn over anything I have if they need it. They know that, but I love God more. And God calls me to stand when it's difficult. You know, I've got to just break off a little bit here, too. Um, I have such a problem with guys talking, This is what our, um, you know, I'm going to do a Bible study, and real manhood and everything, and, and, uh, here, and we talk about how a real man does this, and a real man, and we're, you know, we're supposed to lead, and we're supposed to protect, and we kind of do all these things, and we have these Bible studies. And then your wife asks you to take out the garbage, and you're whining. I mean, don't talk to me. I mean, I, you know, I had a teacher when I was at Nyack. She was talking to the women in our class, and she wasn't being, she wasn't man bashing at all. We were talking about um, love and loving your wives and what does it mean to love. And we got into the conversation about loving wives. And she said, you know, ladies, don't, because men are great at gestures, you know, we have these incredible, you know, I would die for you. Stand guard for you. I will do this to you. You know what she said? She said, ladies, don't believe he'll die for you if he won't do the dishes when you ask. I thought, fair enough. Okay? We all have responsibilities, and if your responsibility is to take the garbage out, your responsibility is to do the dishes. If your responsibility, if, you, if that's what you've been delegated at home, you won't do it. Don't, don't, don't talk smack about how you're going to die for someone. Um, if you won't do the simple tasks when you're asked to do those things, I, I just that's something that just irks me. You know, you know, we need to be men of God, and men of God are willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of others. Nehemiah 4:14 calls men to fight and protect their wives and their children. Okay, and I love this. Just what it says: Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. My, my uncle Woodrow went, um, and he served in World War Two, and he was one of the guys who was on the beaches of Normandy, and I remember reading that the life expectancy for someone who landed on the beaches of Normandy was 17 seconds after that door came down and they ran out. 17 seconds, life expectancy. These guys were under no false pretenses or misunderstandings that they were going to get shot at and shot to pieces when those doors opened. Okay? So I asked my uncle one time, I said, Uncle Woodrow, you know, how did you feel and why did why were you willing to do that? And he said, because... I was fighting for my family here in Virginia... Because if we didn't stop them there, they may come here. That wasn't going to happen. So I'm willing to do whatever I need to do to make sure my mom and my dad and my little brothers and sisters, he was the oldest, are safe. And I'll do whatever I need to do to keep them on this side of the ocean instead of coming to this side of the ocean. He was willing, 17 second life expectancy, he was willing to take that on and stand his ground and do what he needed to do. And he didn't come home all kind of, he was missing pieces kind of thing. Thing, all right, But he survived and he was willing to do it because he was defending his family. He felt like he was defending his family. Men, we need to stand up and take responsibility to defend our families physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I found, uh, I found a, a good illustration from John Piper and Wayne Grudem on the essence of masculinity. I just love this, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, they wrote this, When you're lying in bed with your wife and you hear the sound of a window being opened in your kitchen at 3 a.m., do you shake her awake and say, the last time this occurred, I was the one who took the baseball bat and investigated to see if someone was breaking into our house. So it's your turn, sweetheart. Here's the bat. I mean, is that how, is that that what you do? No, absolutely not. I love that. It's so true. You're, we're, we have a, a God given responsibility if we have the ability to defend and protect our families. But protecting our families doesn't just mean physically protecting our families. You know, we want to, yeah, I'll get an opportunity. Because here's the thing. You may not ever get an opportunity to physically stop someone and come at 3 o'clock in the morning or defend someone with your life. That may never happen. You're not going to maybe never storm a beach or something else um, in your life. So it's not just about physically defending your family. It has to do with other things as well. Fathers, in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 15, Proverbs tells us that, that fathers are responsible, to, to, to pass on wisdom to their children. They're responsible to pass on that wisdom to their children so they build into their children godly character and teach them to reject the lies and the temptations that they're going to face in the world. That's our responsibility. You know, i, I got to tell you guys, I, I love, you guys know I love you to death. and We're going to talk about womanhood too, so I'm not just picking on the guys. But... Guys, man, you've got to talk to your sons about sex, okay? You can't leave that to the school. You can't leave it to your wife. You can't leave it to their friends. You've got to sit down and take a deep breath. Because I know it's awkward, you know, whatever years old they are, to sit down and give them the information they need at that age. But we need to step up and talk to our sons about sex. A little bit here and then they get a little older, a little bit more. And I mean, talk to them about what they're going to be going through pretty soon and why they, you know, I asked my, I asked, I asked, I asked Josh one time, I you know, where some governor was doing something ridiculous uh, with some woman. And I said, I said to Josh, man, why would, why would the governor give up his position? He worked for his whole life just to sleep with this woman. And we talked about how powerful a draw that was and how he needs to be prepared in the future for that. We need to talk to our sons. We need to talk to our daughters. We need to invest in in their lives now. And I just went off on that one, but the Bible says that a father... As he invests and he speaks wisdom, he speaks truth into the lives of his children. He is not only speaking the truth into the life of that child, but for generations to come. He's protecting his family for generations. Why? Because my son is going to... Josh and I were hanging around this house yesterday um, that we were working on and everything. And um, I said to him, "Was uh, I won't get all the details, but I said to Josh, Proverbs says a fool and their money are soon parted. And I told him that before. Why, how important it is to, to deal with finances and how important it is to save your money and this is why you can lose your money. A fool and his money are soon parted. You know what? I can guarantee you... When Josh has a son or daughter, he's going to say to them, you know, a fool in his money is soon parted. Proverbs says that, and here's why, and here's why it's important. You, what you're doing is you're passing on that wisdom to the next generation. They then pass it on to their children, and you're, then your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren are given this wisdom. That's what the Bible teaches us. We need to pass on. That's how you protect your family. You pass it on. You teach your kids about sex. You're protecting them. You teach them about finances. You're protecting them. You teach them, you just give them wisdom and you're protecting them. Number five, a man willingly provides for his family. Now, obviously this can take on different forms and particular circumstances can change who contributes at different times to the family finances. Not a problem. Here's my point. Don't lose any bit of this my point. Here's my point. A godly man, okay, has a desire to, to work and to provide for his family. A man of God has the desire it's in they have a desire to to give to provide for their family. Now you say, well, you know, you, you know, you, I, I said last week I want to back up everything with scripture. And so I'm going to read you 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8. S- tell me if you misunderstand it. Anybody misunderstands this after the service come talk to me. Okay, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Anybody going, I don't get it. You read that again? I'm a little confused. Anybody a little confused? Good. All right. The lack of male leadership in this area is creating... uh, Devastation. It is having devastating effects on families around the world. In parts of Africa, for example, when a, when a man gets a job, when he's able to get a job, much of the time he will spend his money that he receives on alcohol and luxury items that are totally unnecessary, neglecting the needs of his family. It's why I, every chance I get, I'll hire women in different parts of the world because a woman given a job sees her seven kids and thinks, I'd love to have this, but they're going to starve. Somehow, somehow, biblical manhood is not making its way across our, our whole globe because men many times will be selfish and use the money for things like alcohol, whatever else they want to buy that they've always wanted while their family is starving to death. It's that this lack of biblical leadership, the lack of biblical manhood is killing, literally killing people. Killing people. I know families here in the U.S. that suffer because men hit the bar, men hit the casino, before they're meeting their family obligations to pay the monthly bills. That's not manly. This isn't going into the bar and hanging out with the boys or going to the casino. I'm not even criticizing. I'm just saying using the resources for that when you're not using it to take care of your family is a sin needs to stop. It's not manly. It is certainly not biblical manhood. We need to make sure, men, that we're doing what God has called us to do. We need to do what God has called us to do. Part of biblical manhood is to make sure that you provide for the needs of your family before meeting your own specific wants. I don't care what it is. I always wanted. Okay, I understand that. But a man, and number two, a man has learned to control okay, his emotions and his passions his desires. A man has learned to control those things. You've made a decision. You've taken on a family. You need to live up to the obligations that you made before. I said, who's the most important person to me? God. There it is. You need to live up to the expectations that God has for you. I need to live up to the expectations that God has for me. And if that means I don't get to my, what I always wanted for right now, then I have to give that up to make sure my family has what they need. I love this clip from Cinderella Man. I'm going to show it. Come oh, I want some more. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I need to save some for the boys. Okay, no you know, May, I dreamed last night that I was having dinner at the Ritz with Mickey Rooney and George Raft. Really? Yeah. I dreamed I had a steak. A oh. thick, juicy steak. Oh. Like this, Rose. Wow. Oh. And then I had a mountain of mashed potatoes. And I went back to ice cream three times. Oh. I'm, I'm stuffed. I'm absolutely full. I cannot eat another thing. Want to give me a hand? Jimmy. Number six. A man lovingly leads his family. Following God's call to lead within the church and your family is also part of your biblical responsibility. It's part of biblical manhood, that, you know, serving within the body of Christ, serving and leading your family is a part of biblical manhood. If you study this topic, uh, it's amazing. You'll find that these requirements originated before the fall. Adam and Eve were equal in the eyes of God, but they had different roles and responsibilities. Not shocking, right, to anyone? They were equal in the eyes of God, but they had different roles and responsibilities. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 reflects this theme when it comes to the church, how we all have different roles and responsibilities. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. For men... To live out their role, and this is, I, I, we need to really grasp this, guys. For men to live out their biblical role, they need to understand biblical leadership. What does that actually mean? Now, I can't get into the detail this morning. Okay, but well, we will because we're misunderstanding this completely. There's a real misunderstanding. There has been for years, but I'd like to sit down and kind of walk that through. Christ Jesus must be the example that we follow when it comes to leadership. When I say leading in your family, leading in the church, those kinds of things, women can lead too. I'm just saying, I'm talking to the men. When it comes to leading, we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Now, i want to read you Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen to these words. Get these words, okay? This is important. In your relationships to one another... Okay? Husbands, wives, you to your children, you to your friends, you at work, whatever. In your relationships to one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? So he's equal with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, made himself nothing. How am I supposed to lead? I don't do things for my own advantage. Made himself nothing, okay, by taking the very nature of a servant, so not to my own advantage, made myself nothing, nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's number one, remember? And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, None of that sounds like um, what I usually hear when people talk about leadership and I'm the boss and I'm the whatever else. See, in our culture, in our culture that we live in, serve, serve, and lead seem like opposite terms but if you study the life of Jesus Christ okay if you study the life of Christ they are inseparable serve and lead are inseparable From a Christian perspective, you cannot lead if you're not being a servant, if you're not investing in the lives of others. You can be a strong, powerful leader in your business, but you have to keep in mind that ultimately Christ calls you to invest and serve those people. You're to love them, invest in them, and that's what God calls us to in our families. While the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.23 that the husband is the head of the wife, he quickly puts to rest any, any thought that leadership allows for, allows for any kind of selfish male dominance. Puts it to rest, because he completes the sentence with this. As Christ, also, as Christ is also the head of the church. Verse 25 goes on to say this, that a husband should love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This paints a picture of leadership, okay, that is not in alignment or that is contrary to our culture, that is contrary to what people view, what the world views as leadership, especially in the church. They misrepresent, misunderstand what this actually means. The world does, and honestly, part of it is because we do, and we portray it the wrong way. The culture and some Christians have a negative reaction to this passage when it talks about headship because of the way, honestly, it's lived out and misrepresented by our sinful, by our sinful nature. And, and honestly, I talk to people on the way out and they're saying, yep, love my dad, love my whatever, but they misunderstood this and they, they ruled with an iron fist. My way or the highway. You know, one of the best... Well, I'll get into that later. Um, sin... Sin, sinful nature projects leadership and headship as dominance. Okay, my sinful nature takes over. I am the boss. Right right there. It says that I'm the boss. And so then all of a sudden, my sinful nature takes leadership and headship as dominance. Go back to Philippians chapter two and show me where dominance is said. Uh, and consider equality with God's under grasp, but became dominant and, and and said, "It's my way or the highway, and I'm the boss, and I get to tell you, that, that's not that's not what we're. It's laid out in Scripture. A godly man is called to be a." servant leader, and to put his wife and to put his children above himself, the needs of his wife and children, the needs of the people around him above himself. He is called to, dem- he is called to demonstrate selfless, sacrificial love, selfless, sacrificial love. Here's, as I was studying this, it's amazing. It means the type of love that God has for you and for me. The type of love that Jesus Christ showed when he hung on a cross, bleeding and dying, okay? That's the kind of love that they're talking about here. Selfless, sacrificial love. He, we, are, he, we, we are called to love, okay? We are called to, to, to lead through love, through sacrifice, and through service. I, so when you read that, okay? And I'm supposed, to be the, I'm supposed to take the lead in some areas where I'm given authority by God, okay? I'm supposed to do it. In a loving, sacrificial, and a way that serves the other person. This is not a domineering leadership. Not a domineering leadership with, with repressive arrogance. This is, not, this is not what the Bible is laying out here at all. Male leadership in the home is meant to reflect his relationship between Christ and the church. Male leadership in the home is meant to reflect Christ's relationship with the church. What did Christ do for the church? Think about it. Died. But our fallen nature, in our fallen nature, men, um, their natural tendency is to resist God's will and and to... and instead of going along with what God is expressing, what God's desire is, what God's expectations are, we, on the other hand, follow our own selfish expectations, our own selfish desires. We we misunderstand this, and we take and we use our own selfish desires. That's not what God called us to. We're rebelling when we behave that way. Way we are rebelling against God. In Hebrews chapter three and verse fifteen, it says, "As has has it just been said." Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. People struggle with this idea of headship. They struggle with that because they believe that equality and value, okay, are in question. You're saying you're here and I'm here. and blah, blah, blah. Equality and value have nothing to do with this issue whatsoever. That's been established. When a man and a woman become one, okay, when God created man and created woman, they are of equal value to him. They are equal value in God's eyes. One is not better than the other. Ravi Zachariah said this. I was studying what Ravi was saying about this. He said, when you use the word leadership or headship, when we use the word headship in the church, he says we use it incorrectly. We do not use it correctly. Men and women were made differently by God. Okay, they were given different roles and responsibilities. That has nothing to do with someone being better than someone else. You see this in every. You have different roles and responsibilities in every area of your life. This does not have anything to do with one being better than the others. We are equal in the eyes of God. Let me share a passage of scripture that no one likes to bring up, okay, or just kind of skips over somehow. Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-one says, "Submit to one another." Husbands and wives, submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to, get into, I'm going to do a whole sermon on this because we need to hear it. Because part, part of the problem here is, here's the idea that people get. I know I'm going long, forgive me. Okay, I'll try to end it really quick. Um, here's the idea that people have. If you like to roll the toilet paper in the bathroom, the men like to roll it this way, and women want to roll it that way, or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm the man and ultimately I'm going to decide which way the toilet paper was rolled. I have spoken. We're doing it this way. That's not biblical. Okay. Who has the authority over that area? Ultimately, that's what we need to talk about. Who has, Who has been delegated authority over that area? If you're the CEO of a company, a company or a CEO, a CFO, a COO, all kinds, the CFO, okay, is responsible for the finances. The CEO doesn't come tell the CFO how to do the finances of the company because that person's been delegated that authority. So men can't walk around and think they have authority over every area of their homes and do it like an iron-fisted person. I'm having the toilet paper roll that way. And here's the other thing. If you love your wife like Christ loved the church, wouldn't you want her to roll a toilet paper she'd like the way she'd like to roll it? Make her happy, right? You'd sacrifice. So you're gonna hold on to how the toilet paper's rolled, but you're gonna die for her. I'm hmm, not really sure that I don't know how that works. The Greek, the standard Greek English lexicon renders the word submit in five twenty one as voluntary, I love this, voluntary yielding of love voluntary yielding of love. Submit to one another. What does that mean for each of us? Voluntarily yielding in love. We use the word submit. People don't like the word submit. And one, one author put it this way, and I like this. He said, he said, we might say today, follow the leadership of that person in, sub, in submission to Christ, in reverence to Christ. Follow the leadership of that person who has the authority in reverence to Jesus Christ. I, I love that. Again, equality and value are not in question here. They're not in question. But God calls us to different roles and different responsibilities within the family. My role as the father of my family is to love my wife and to serve my wife and my children. That's my role and that's my responsibility. To lead, to lead. I am called to lead by reflecting the values, the person of Jesus Christ. I lead by reflecting Jesus Christ and sacrificing my own good for their good, by praying for them urgently, by providing for them willingly, and by protecting them intensely. My friends, this, men, this is our call. This is biblical leadership. This is biblical manhood. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity we have to learn your truth. And God, I don't think there'd be any problem with men or with women on any of these issues if every single one of us would desire to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. That we thought of each other more important than, than that person's more important than myself. If we sacrificed, if we loved, if we invested, if we served, if we were willing to give that other person of ourselves at all times, we wouldn't have any problems with any of this. There would be no controversy, no frustration. Lord God, help us. Help us to understand that. Help us to lead the way you have shown us, the way you set the example. Help us to follow that example with all of our hearts. That we may honor you first and foremost by being your servants. And in being your servants, we serve others with our whole being. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.